In the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, there is a line that says, All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. That is great and all, but what happens when we do not believe that and get caught up in wanting what others have? In today's episode, we're going to deal with the subject of coveting and why God tries to help us steer clear of it. Hopefully, you'll walk away encouraged by what the Lord has to say about it, coming up next on Groundwork. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, we have spent a lot of time in this Ten Commandments series. This is the last part of the program, part eight, and this is the Tenth Commandment we're dealing with today. Yep. And that commandment is dealing with covetousness. What a word. Some people think it's an antiquated word, but it has a lot of relevance for today. Yeah. You don't hear uh, people using the word covet much, but it is in the Hebrew. It's a word, uh, hamad, which means just a a really strong desire for something, a a lust, something you really hanker uh, to have quite badly. And of course, very few of us would ever... um, eat something, buy something. If we didn't see something, we thought, oh, that looks good. You know, I'll sure. order that. I'll buy it. That's okay. But but coveting is something that gets out of place. It slips out of place and it kind of can take over your life. It's more than a strong craving, isn't it? It's this very deep, visceral, very strong passion that can move over ethical lines. Right. It could get you in a lot of trouble. I was looking at an example on this where four guys who robbed a bank were, were working together. They just got done with the heist. And there, each guy is asked, what are you going to do with the money since you, you stole it? What are you going to do with it? The first guy is like, well, I want to buy a nice car. <laughs> and the second guy says, well, I'm going to buy a stereo system. It's going to be huge speakers and everything. And the third guy is more of a renaissance guy. He says, I'm going to buy a fancy house with old antique art in it, priceless art in it. And the fourth guy looks at all of them and he says, I like what you guys said. I have one each of yours. And he ends up double crossing them in the movie right. and taking everything from them because the word covet means he couldn't handle that they had a fair share of what it is, if you can call it fair. He wanted their share to be his. And so he did what he had to do to take it from them. That's the essence of coveting. Right. And it comes up in Exodus twenty seventeen, the very end of the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What's interesting is that this comes on a, after a series of commandments that were very short. Yeah. Don't commit adultery. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't lie. And this one you would expect there, don't covet. Do not covet. But this is much more expansive. It gets really specific about a neighbor's house or a wife or a servant or an animal. And then the catch-all or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So this 10th commandment gets expanded on in a way that we haven't seen since the Sabbath commandment on number four. And God makes it clear that it's out of bounds to want stuff that belongs to your neighbor. But I was thinking about why is this such a bad thing? And I think one of the reasons why is because, number one, God says not to do it. (laughs) If you can pretty (laughs) much understand, obviously, if God says not to do something, it's probably not a way to go to go against what he regulates or what he actually provides for you or tells you what to do. And I think another reason is because we get caught in comparisons. We see what our neighbor has. We look about what we don't have. And we did into this comparison game. If your neighbor has a nice house or car, you're like, man, I wish I had that nice house or car. But you don't know the context on how they got that stuff. And so it's really unfair to you to judge yourself less and judge them greater based on what they possessions they have or what relationship they are in. And it's really 
basically a bottomless pit because if you get caught up in coveting, it can ruin your life. It makes you miserable. It really just makes you miserable because there's no end to things other people have or how they live or what they drive or what they wear. There's really no, no end to it. And if you get caught up in covetousness, right, then, yeah, you, you just make yourself miserable every day. They say that what do we tend to covet? Well, we tend to covet the stuff we see every day. Right. We tend to covet the stuff that's close to hand. We don't usually covet something from somebody who lives in Russia. Uh, we, we covet something from somebody who lives on Alexandria Street, our street, right. right? Well, if we covet what we see every day, then every day we're going to be made a little more miserable by being a covetous person. Grumpy Smurf. Yeah going to turn into a grump because it robs us of the contentment and the peace and the joy that God has for us and his blessings for us each and every day. And it also makes us think that the solution to a blessing is always material. Right. And if we're thinking about the intrinsic value of being in relationship with God and with one another, I think that it would move us away from the discontent and the disquiet that happens when you covet everything. And then the other thing that I thought is that we forget when we start focusing on external things and possessions and other relationships that we don't have, we don't really get to focus on what's going on inside of us because we're so obsessed with getting a possession. If we get that thing, it'll make us better. It'll make us look like we have our lives together. It'll make us happier or whatever we think it is. And that stuff becomes externally focused. Right. We don't get to look in on the hearts when that's happening. Exactly. And, you know, the commandment specifically says not to cover your neighbor's wife. Today, I would say your neighbor's spouse, husband spouse. or wife, right? And you mentioned earlier, too, that the Hebrew word, you know, it involves a, a sense of lust. And certainly if it were about a spouse that you're sexually desiring, that would be the sin of lust. Frederick Beekner, who's a pastor and a writer and a novelist, he, um, he has a book where he's just got a whole A to Z list of theological terms that he gives his own definitions to. For the sin of lust, he's got only one sentence, and it's this. Lust is the hankering for salt of a man dying of thirst. Wow. So you think that that woman you know, is going to make you better? It's going to slake your thirst? It's salt. It's going to make your thirst worse. And we talked a little bit about that in the program on You Must Not Commit Adultery as well, right? Because it does. It consumes your life. Uh, it, it blinds you. Uh, well, we're going to talk a little bit later about, you know, how we really need to lean into gratitude because it blinds you to the things you already have to be able to give thanks for as well. So, you know, we, um, we've mentioned this before in the course of this series, Daryl, but there are several words that are sort of in the same neighborhood. They're kind of cousin words. There's yeah. envy. There's greed and there's covetousness, and they're all sort of in the same category. Envy makes you want to take away what somebody else has. Greed makes you, you know, devote your whole life to get something like somebody has. Yeah. And covetousness is a little of both. It makes you go into that comparison game, and it does tempt you to take away from your neighbor what you want from him. So now you have it and he doesn't. And so we see it in countless examples in the Bible. David and Bathsheba is one of them. But you see the cluster of these things coming together in the problem of what happens to be a coveted situation where he covets this man, Uriah the Hittite's wife. And we see like some of these challenges that we're talking about is really just the beginning on why it's bad to covet your neighbor's stuff or your neighbor's spouse or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And we're going to dig deeper in this as we go along. So stay tuned. glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. 
If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And we're talking about the Tenth Commandment. Uh, this is the series finale, Daryl, of our eight-part series yep. on the Ten Commandments. Why eight parts? Well, if you've been listening, you know we did the first three commandments in just one show, and then we've devoted one episode each to the remaining ones, the remaining seven. So it's an eight-part series. It's the last one on coveting. Again, we said it's not the most familiar word. We don't often use coveting in ordinary language. But as we've already established, Daryl, it's definitely something we're familiar with. Oh, definitely. So it's one thing to want something of your own, but it's another to want someone else's, like their thing or their spouse or their relationship. If they have something that you want and then you're actually trying to figure out how do I get that to me? How did I get that to me? That's the problem that you cross the line where God is uh, having a problem with it. And I think it's appropriate to understand that Lust is connected to coveting, but lust is not always sexual. We did talk about a situation where lust was sexual in the context of David and Bathsheba or whatnot. But lust itself is like this deep desire, and it doesn't always have to be sexual. No, it can be power, status, importance, ambition. You, You can lust for fame and glory. There's all kinds of things you can lust for and covet for. And the Bible warns us, uh, the Apostle John in 1 John 2, starting at verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So here, John, um, in a rather direct, blunt, almost scary statement, says, Coveting cuts you off from God. It cuts you off from your Father in heaven. And it's really frustrating when you get into the situation where you do not even know that that is happening in your life because Mm -hmm. you're so focused on the outside thing, the external thing, that you lose connection with your Heavenly Father who's trying to guide you and give you a plan for your life. He's trying to give you a plan. But when you're so caught up in what you see, caught up in what these things can do for you or what it does for your emotions or your flesh is what we call it, then you lose focus. And we see that in the case of Adam and Eve. You know, we often are told, and there's a sense in which it's true, it kind of goes back to Augustine, the uh, 3rd and 4th century theologian, but that the original sin was pride, right? They were proud. Pride goeth before the fall, right? We've all heard that. Well, there is a sense in which pride, but a really good commentator that I read a while back pointed out that, in a sense, the original sin was not pride. It started with coveting. Yes. Listen to Genesis 3 at verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good— And pleasing to the eye, Mm -hmm. and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And what precedes that, of course, is the serpent saying to her, God told you not to eat that. You know why? Because it'll make you like God. It'll give you the secret knowledge, good and evil. And you, Eve, deserve to have that. Oh, yeah. And once the serpent, Satan, the tempter, once that 
seed was planted in Eve's mind. I deserve this. I should be able to have that. What is, what's up with God holding back something so good? Eating the fruit was inevitable. Once, once she thought that, once she coveted that knowledge that the fruit was the doorway to, it was over. And then, you know, she believed that, hey, we won't even need God because who's going to make the decisions? I'll make the decisions. Exactly. So then the good for food is lust of the flesh, pleasing to the eye, lust of the eye. And then desirable for gaining wisdom is pride of life. So the enemy is not actually doing anything new. He's constantly doing that. He did it with the temptation with Jesus in uh, Luke 4. He also does it in our lives and tries to tempt us in one of these three areas. Because if he can get us to covet and not believe that God and his goodness has given us everything we need, then we could fall into that trap very easily. Exactly. And boy, oh boy, Daryl, if you want to be scary, I mean, we've, we've mentioned this in other Groundwork episodes, but if you want to consider how scary this is, keep in mind that what Eve and Adam did in coveting this knowledge that they didn't trust that they had enough. Keep in mind, this happened in paradise, right? This happened in a garden <laughs> yeah. that was full of everything they could possibly have needed, right? All I have needed, thy hand hath provided, the song you, you quoted at Period. the start of this show, they had it. So, boy, if you can get blinded to what you already have when you are in the Garden of Eden, it sure could happen anywhere else in life. And, of course, there are the other sad thing is that the serpent said, you will be like God. But the Bible already told us they already, they already were. were. They in were made in God's likeness. image and likeness. So they got blinded to that, too, by covetousness. So when you brought up that part about the what I feel is an entitlement, like we deserve this. I think every marketing scheme on the planet who wants mm-hmm. to sell you anything from socks to hamburgers to cars to whatever, they often pull on this covetousness string that says we deserve this. And if exactly. we understand that God is in the process of actually helping us and blessing us, not just materially, I'm not talking about that really. I'm talking about the health that comes from a relationship and under the obedience and providential care of our God. If we trust in that, then it will ebb away at the covetousness and the comparison game that happens when you think about what you have and what others have. And with that comparison game, and we've talked about this before also in the context of uh, the deadly sin of envy, you know, we are always tempted to compare ourselves upward, right, to the guy who has a little more money, a nicer car, a more beautiful wife, or whatever. Well, why don't we try to compare downward once and look at all that we have that so many in the world could only dream of? Right. I mean, if we live in the Western world, not everybody is in great shape. We have plenty of poor people and impoverished people in the United States and Canada. But boy, you look at the the standard of living in most of the world, uh, people who live on a dollar a day. Uh, and sometimes they can't get that dollar. Okay? Yeah, right. But you only have to go that extreme. You know, compare yourself downward once because we're going to be talking in just a, a few minutes uh, when we close out the uh, program that gratitude is the great antidote to being a covetous person. And covetousness, therefore, makes you um, an ungrateful person uh, because you're always comparing yourself up. So if we did what you just said there, Scott, and we compared ourselves down, we would be content right where we are. You know, one time I went on a mission trip and I went to uh, Central America. And when I came back home from that trip, I felt like a rich man Mm. because I looked in my closet and these kids didn't have very many things to wear or many things to eat. And when I came home, I felt like I had too much. And that is actually something that 
Number one, God has been blessing and God has been faithful in both situations. And two, it keeps me from coveting and wanting other things. That's exactly right. To take stock and to realize your position in the larger ecology of the world uh, and even of your own community. I mean, I, I've also been to Africa and I've been inside what Africans regard as a really nice house. But to my Western eyes, it's like, wow, it's kind of a little ramshackle place. But, you know, it's a really nice house in that culture. But you don't even have to go that far. We can look, all of us, almost all of us within our own communities. We could see plenty of things that would remind us what blessings we have. And that also would then motivate us to want to share our blessings, right? Instead of wanting to take, 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 we want to share. But we want to conclude the program and this series with some other ideas and some um, antidotes and practices we can put into place to combat covetousness and enhance gratitude. So stay tuned. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches the nuts and bolts of discipleship. His goal is that his followers will be pure in heart, and pursue true righteousness. This call to follow Jesus is radical in nature. Though he sets a high bar, we don't need to be discouraged. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reminds us that a life built on the foundation of trusting in God will stand against any storm that comes along and gives us a glimpse of who God is shaping us to be through the grace we have freely received. Join today in October for a devotional series, Changed to Live Like Jesus. Refresh, refocus, and renew at todaydevotional.com. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. And Scott, we've been talking about the nature of what it means to covet, why that's bad, and why we have problems trusting God's plan for our lives. Um, You talked about earlier that it kind of clusters itself. And in the last few commandments, you hit them. They write point blank. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. And then you said that they also elaborate on more things. But those are relational things. And so I think it's important to talk about why the relational aspect is affected negatively when you when you covet. You know, we've 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 talked before, Daryl, when we particularly in the early part of this Ten Commandments series, that we always took note of the fact that the commandments came after salvation, after they had been rescued from Egypt. So the Ten Commandments weren't prerequisites that they had to fulfill in order for God to save them. They were the fruit of salvation. This is how you respond now that God led you out of Egypt and saved you. But the other significant thing is Israel has now become a nation in fulfillment of what God promised to Abram long ago. They are now a nation. They are a community. And so almost all of the Ten Commandments are, are aimed at regulating community and what you just said, regulating those relationships because sin disrupts community. When you steal other things from people, when you got to be suspicious about your neighbor, when you know your neighbor's lying about you, it just unravels community. Let's just clear up a few things and think about how relationships are actually very important. You know, the greatest two commandments they ask Jesus is what is the greatest commandments is loving God and loving your neighbor. Exactly. And this is one way to love your neighbor. So let's just be honest. Okay. We all have had a struggle here that you cannot walk through this life and say that you've never, ever had a problem with coveting or wanting something that someone else has. I mean, let's just normalize that. And because being a pastor, I've seen and I've talked to people and I've known that walking through life where everybody has struggles. Right. So how do we walk through these kinds of struggles and work through what it means to move away from the coveting and move more towards contentment? 
What's interesting, though, too, Daryl, is that in the tradition of the church, this Tenth Commandment has often been seen as a catch-all for all of the Ten Commandments. In fact, in the Heidelberg Catechism, that great Reformation document that we've referenced several times in this series, question and answer 113, the question is asked, what is the aim of the Tenth Commandment? And the answer is that not even the slightest desire or thought contrary to any of God's commandments should ever arise in our hearts. Rather, with all our hearts, we should always hate sin and take pleasure in whatever is right. So in that sense, covetousness is behind all the other commandments, too. If we covet, and we said that earlier, if we want to be like God, like Adam and Eve, now we're breaking the first three commandments where we have no other gods before God. We put ourselves in God's place. If we covet, we can mess up our family relationships with our parents. It can lead to adultery. It can lead to murder. It can lead to stealing. It can lead to... Covetousness catches them all. And so the Catechism says, what does this 10th commandment say? Love life and hate evil always. Don't have even a slight desire to live in anti-God ways. And be honest with God about that when those desires come up. I mean, the authentic Christian life where you're being really honest and vulnerable with God is the first step because he he says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. So confess them. Confess them to one another as well. Another thing you can do is and basically count your blessings. Remember. I mean, that word remember shows up in the Old Testament so many times after God has delivered his Israelites from Egypt and from and bringing them into the promised land. He's always telling them to remember. The theme of the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the slogan of the book of Deuteronomy. I think we did a series on Deuteronomy um, years ago here on Groundwork, but the slogan is remember and do not forget. Yes. Remember and do not forget. When you get into the promised land, you just came through wilderness where if God didn't rain down manna, you didn't eat. If God didn't bring forth miraculous water from a rock, you didn't drink. But now you're going to go to a land where you can grow your own garden. You're going to have your own well, and it'll be easy to forget that that is from God too. Every bit as much as the manna and the water from a rock, a tomato from your garden and water from your well, that's a gift of God to remember and do not forget. Count your blessings. And it's all over scripture. (laughs) I mean, in Deuteronomy 6, it tells us right here that these are the commands, the decrees and the laws that the Lord your God directed me, Moses, to teach you to observe in the land in which you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. So again, it's all about flourishing. It's all about having a good life. And the ironic thing is is that Coveting is about thinking that I don't have a good life, so I got to get myself a good life by right. getting a boat like my neighbor's or a, a woman like my neighbor's wife. That doesn't lead to a good life, at least to a miserable life, as we said earlier. God wants us to have the good life, and the Ten Commandments and all of God's laws and decrees are the map. That's yes. the roadmap to a good life. And I think we could boil it way down, Scott. Like we could just literally thank God for waking us up this morning. (laughs) Thank God for food on our table, clothes on our backs. The very things that we take for granted that his providential care gives us each and every day, like the sparrows getting fed that Jesus talks about or the flowers getting clothed like Jesus talks about. We're worth more than them. If we could just be grateful for that, it would keep us from having the grass is greener on the other side comparison game because we don't know what other people have went through the 
sacrifices they have made and all the prices they have paid or the discipline or whatever they earned. We don't know the context on what they have. When you do grass is greener only, you don't give yourself the context to know this is what they went through to get that. You just want the thing. Yeah. Let the peace of Christ from Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. And that I think is it. Gratitude is the coveting killer. It kills covetousness in our lives. And gratitude also, I think, if we can nurture a heart of gratitude, it will help us keep all of the Ten Commandments to God be the glory. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney. And we hope you'll join us again next time as we continue to dig deeply into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. Connect with us on our website, groundworkonline.com, and share what Groundwork means to you and tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit reframeministries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dot Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.